Another blood red sunset and yet another moon face And still another hundred miles to my next resting place Driving down the road, eyes on the horizon Within my car I'm all alone But feeling good and feeling strong Knowing that this path I'm on brings me to I'm hey now all, I'm Joey C. Welcome back to another episode of Spirit Chirpa. This is the show that helps and encourages you in your journey to unlock your magic mojo. With me as always is the spirit doctor, Kelly Sparta. Hey Kelly. Hey Joey. What's going on? I'm excited because Charlemagne is back. She is back. Hi Charlemagne. <laughs> Hello, wonderful to be here with you both. So good to have you. You guys ready and excited to uh, to do another episode of Spirit Chirpa here? Oh, yeah. Yes, indeed. What are we talking about today? We're going to do some kitchen witchery. <laughs> this is like cooking show, but for magic users. Is that what Pretty it is? Much. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. You're cooking up many things in the kitchen. Food's just one of them. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What is kitchen witchery about? Well, there's many perspectives on it, I think is fair to say. In general, for myself, kitchen witchery involves bringing lots of magic mojo into your life via what you put into your body in the most basic ways. The building blocks of you yourself are your food. It's whatever you take in, your food, your water, your air. And these are all connected deeply to the elements in nature that we're working with magically from the get-go. However, throughout time, since time began, and we were really practicing cooking as a species, foods were given particular attributes depending on what they brought up in people. Sometimes that also had to do with where they grew, the other animals that were seen around them. And so long story short on that, through the thousands of years of cookery all over the world, various ingredients have been given um, correspondences to different energies planetary energies, elemental energies, astrological energies, as well as mythological associations with various deities and stories. So for those who are really deep into it, and I will absolutely own that, deep into kitchen witchery, you can create various types of foods based in the magic you're wanting to invoke and bring into your life and bring them literally into yourself with focused cooking and meditating and charging your food and eating. It's a really big topic. So we could go a zillion directions with this. So I'm going to tie this into a bunch of different places. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, I'm going to start with, um, you know, modern mythology in the form of movies, Mm -hmm. right? So if you remember the movie Like Water for Chocolate, it's probably the single most representative example of kitchen witchery that there is in modern movies that I can think of. Um, and Chocolat, which was based off of that. And, and Charlemagne is, is uh, about to correct me. I can see on her face. Oh, yes. Oh, oh, no, no, it's not a correction. It's, <laughs> it's enthusiastic yesing, as well as saying there was a small scene in Practical Magic where that got oh, talked about yes. the movie with Sandra Bullock. Yeah, that's... There's that in there too. And like that whole midnight margaritas thing, like for oh, real. Yeah. Well, and, and if I remember, there's a movie called Woman on Top where there was some kitchen witchery that happened as well, where she did 
where she did some work around that. But, um, you know, this in this way, we're actually going to be working with sympathetic magic. And there's an episode in the early stages of the podcast where we talked exclusively about sympathetic magic. So if you have not heard that episode, you will want to go back and review it so that you can understand what we're talking about as we talk about this. And the mythological references will be, uh, you know, things that you'll learn as we go through the mythology series as well. And a lot of these are referenced in modern day movies as well, which is when you learn your mythology movies, movies become so much more interesting because, uh, for instance, in the Matrix, I can't remember which Matrix movie, but in one of the Matrix movies, the one where they meet uh, Persephone and Hades, mm-hmm. uh, there is actually a pomegranate on the table, uh, which is part of the mythology of their story. And so using pomegranate can be one way to work in kitchen witchery as well. Hmm. The idea of charging your food is actually a kitchen witchery thing as well, but it's something that you learn in like Reiki classes, right? Right. A lot of Reiki classes will teach you to charge your food with good energy, right? As well as to clear it. As well as to clear it. Yeah. Especially if it was prepared by somebody who wasn't in a good mood. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the other thing really to say about all that, I mean, where I've learned all this and through time is to understand and recognize that the chain of something getting to you, to your plate is a very long chain, you know, beginning with the plants. If you're eating a plant, let's say it's plants, it's less complicated, plants themselves in terms of the seeds and they grow. And then there's the soil, all the elements are involved, right? The soil of the earth, the winds that maybe blew that seed to that spot. And certainly do bring the clouds that bring the rain, the sunshine. So you've got the four elements right there, air, fire, water, and earth all represented. Various foods have to go through a process of in more intense farming than others. And so then you've got the beneficial insects and the animals that come along and maybe help with the fertilization process or maybe help with the, the plowing of the fields, right? So we want to have thanks to them. And then there's the people involved from the farmers to the growers, to the pickers, the harvesters, the people who process the food, the people who bring it to market, the people who buy it at market and take it to stores. And it just goes on and on and on and on and on. So when I do my, it's really, when you think about it, all all the hands that touch it. So when we think about also clearing our food and then reprogramming it energetically for what we want, there's also a lot of thank yous that are helpful to bring. And I've really discovered over the years when I started acknowledging that, tremendous chain of connection. Not only did my food feel more energized to me, I received more. And then the chain of blessings, you know, as that happens when you do gratitude practices, became much, uh, much wider stream. And in terms of kitchen witchery that may have come into modern day awareness, think about the foods that we think of as aphrodisiacs, mm-hmm. oysters, I know there's a bunch it's more a long I'm not thinking list. of right Oysters, now. peaches, yeah. asparagus. Asparagus is a great one. Um, all kinds of seafood. And the way things look, if you think about, the, you know, we're getting into the season soon. It's not here yet. But the voluptuous ways that a peach looks, right? <laughs> like, okay. Yeah. We know what we're looking at. And there's Venus peaches. There's old traditional recipes that come to us through the ancients that have some really kind of sexy names. You know, nipples of Venus is a real thing. That's a real food, kids. <laughs> um, 
And there's a bunch of really wonderful um, references. I've spent quite a lot of time with that looking at ancient references. The Greeks in particular wrote a lot. We have a lot of well-known philosophers who talked a lot about how food changes us. You can look at it through the time. And then you get the places of the higher art, the elevated arts of kitchen witchery, although it wasn't thought of as such. You know, the Epicureans and of the of French tradition, you know, you brought up chocolat. It's a very good example. There's a long history of looking at how f- mood affects food. I rather, sorry, food affects mood. <laughs> and um, <laughs> what we can... Oh, both it, yeah, it, Actually, they do. <laughs> um, and so we have a really tremendous volume of information. And then looking at, like, do we like spicy food? Are we gravitating towards something heating? That's the passions. That's fire. We love that, right? If we're trying to elevate our energy, we want that energy. Um, if we're looking for something more cooling, we might go to water, watery foods, looking at cucumber and looking at some of the dairy foods that are also sometimes lunar. They're white, they're cooling to the blood, they're cooling to the body. These are just the most basic examples. And then I like to put together different types of eating for energy types of diets, right? If I'm looking, like we talked about love, if I'm looking to draw love, I need to eat food that's making me feel more receptive, me feel more open, me feel more energetically perceptive around voluptuousness and sensuality and there's food in itself just lends itself to that you've got all the senses can be active right that the texture the taste the smell how it looks you know everything food rarely has a sound but sometimes it does like the sounds of cooking can really <laughs> begin that process yeah. for some people i tend to play music to my food and I have a very strict rule in my house when i'm cooking there are certain conversations we do not have while cooking is happening, because we do not want to add that energy to our food. Well, and uh, when we do transformational retreats, mm-hmm. we have specific foods that we use to support that. And in fact, sometimes we have a hard time finding uh, retreat centers because we want meat on the menu. And most of the retreat centers are vegetarian or vegan these days. Mm-hmm. But when you are doing transformational work, Eating meat is actually super helpful because it allows you to transform the energy of that animal into you. And it allows you to ground more significantly than any uh, root or tuber could really accomplish. And when you're, when you're going through a transformational process, grounding is super important, right? Yeah. If I may say something about that, as I, I know that's a controversial subject, the eating of meat. Yeah. Um, and I feel this is important, so I'm just going to go right for it. When I was busily studying in the various traditions I've studied at one point, I myself was a vegetarian and it was the most unhealthy I ever was. Um, and the reason that was, is it had to do with my blood type. I was eating exceedingly well. I was cooking at a macrobiotic restaurant and working full time, part time actually at, at that time was called bread and circus, which became whole foods. So I had access to every possible good thing I could ever want. You make an exceedingly good point. Sometimes the body just needs the grounding that meat can provide that nothing else can. And at that time also, so I was studying with some native elders. And one of the things that one of them kind of jokingly said to me, well, okay then, well, who's going to cry for the carrot? Meaning that the acknowledgement that all of life is worthy of our gratitude and our blessing. And if we're cooking with that mindset We are acknowledging that part of my prayer when I eat, especially when I eat meat, as I say, may my life be worthy of your death. It is an endless cycle that we are attached to. We cannot get away from it. And I realize that's a heavy thing to say. And yet 
that's part of transformation, right? There's alchemy. That life does feed my life. And if I don't acknowledge it, that's an, that's a, an important thing to recognize in terms of being able to maximize what I can get from it. Being in right relationship, when we talk about that, to our food is powerful magic. And so I'm very intentional yeah. about meat, incredibly. I'm intentional about all of it, but especially meat. Well, and, and this is something I've always said is just because it doesn't have a face and doesn't speak doesn't mean that when we eat it, it doesn't die. Of course. So... You know, vegetables, we are, we're killing the vegetables when we cut them from, from their places, just as much as we're killing the animals when we eat the meat. So, you know, eating the vegetables is killing something just as much as eating the meat is. And so this concept of, of taking in with honoring and reverence that which feeds us is super relevant. And, and that's whether it's meat or whether it's vegetables and you know, that's just what it is. Yeah. You guys said at the start of this, we've hit on a lot to do with the food. You said that food was only part of it. Is there more to kitchen witchery than what we're talking about here? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's how you set up your kitchen, too. I set up a little kitchen altar. Uh, it's your tools. Like any tool, right? The tools of the craft matter. Your tools, you get them as you go along and you recognize how they they operate and what they are. You know, this is a funny thing about the modern world. Think about metal, right? Most pots and pans are metal or glass. <laughs> Your utensils are often metal or wood. I try to avoid plastic as much as humanly possible for many reasons, not the least of which is science tells us lately that hot plastic is our carcinogen um, a lot of the time. So, you know, silicon though is better and we know silicon comes from a natural element. So let's really, you know, we look at that. I bless and clean all of my tools as well. And I have great gratitude for my tools. I have little prayers before, during, and after all of the cookery, right? I have my mindset about what I'm going to make. And I seasonally change around my little kitchen altar, you know, which sits currently in a windowsill with another growing plant and a beautiful wooden pentacle that was my very favorite, who sadly has passed away, kitchen witch, was uh, my dear friend Rob. And I learned a lot. At his in his kitchen and so when he passed i took part of his he gave me part of his kitchen altar so you know that's a place also to honor the ancestors we cook for the ancestors at various times of the year think about Samhain. we make you know some of us make a dumb supper and feed the ancestors as part of that practice we bring foods out as offerings for various occasions and so yeah kitchen witchery goes beyond just you know your daily meals for sure hmm. Well, and it's it's also the energy in the space, right? Absolutely. You know, and the, the way, the energy in you as you engage in the cooking process. Mm -hmm. My husband is a chef. He was both by profession before and now by avocation. And he loves to cook and it shows in his food. You can just mm -hmm. taste the love. What you are thinking about how you are engaging the process, whether you're doing it in a positive way or whether you're dreading it and being cranky about it or whether you're just like, ah, I'm just going to throw something together and eat something, whatever, it's food, right? It isn't much food if that's how you're approaching it. Exactly. Right? It doesn't much feed you if you're not if you're not giving it reverence and space in your life to be something. Yeah. You can even make the most simple meal a feast with the right energy and mindset. Yeah. And it's like I said to you earlier, the, 
closer to the beginning. I don't allow certain conversations to happen in the kitchen when I'm cooking. There's things I will not engage in. And so sometimes what I'll do is I'll take uh, the time to choose very specific music to play where I just want my mind to be open. I want to be the empty vessel. I don't want to talk and I'll literally sing to the food and there's chants I know. And sometimes I'll chant over the food and there's even kitchen dances that happens. Kitchen dances happen in the food. And so, you know, that brings so much joy. And so, yeah, when we think about cooking with love and that cook for me, and I say it a lot, cooking is love. If I'm cooking for you, it's because I love you, not because I don't care. Uh, that is a labor of love. And uh, I was taught that throughout my young life. Cooking is a major part of my growing up. And I think for many of us, there's favorite meals we'll remember from our childhood that maybe various relatives or dear friends cooked for us that we'll never forget. And it had less to do perhaps with the food itself versus, or it may, and as well as, let's say it that way, as well as what was happening at that time, who was involved. The old brain, because it's connected to smell, And, and that impacts our taste, affects the entire body, the whole brain, body, and sensation. Just it's powerful. There's a lot of activities we yeah. engage in and in life, but there's, there's few that we engage in every single day. And the potential for our food magic to elevate and transform how and who we are is monumental. And it's it's also how we carry forward legacy Indeed. and tradition. If you if you make a recipe that you learned from your mother or your father and you teach it to your children, it becomes part of your family's legacy. And even if it evolves over time, it doesn't mm-hmm. matter, right? You know, so uh, my mother and I used to spend one day every year from sunup to well past midnight baking bread. And we would make, you know, 16, 18 loaves of bread in one oven in the course of a day. And it was a very laid out planned thing <laughs> to make that many <laughs> loaves of bread. But that bread made on that day would feed us for the whole year. We would freeze it the the moment it cooled and stick it in the the deep freezer and take it out and it would be fresh baked again when we would put it in the oven. And that tradition is not just one that she and I shared, but over the years I have shared that tradition with friends and we have had the same experience and because, you know, I never had children. So I have shared the tradition in other ways and that carries forward. And the, the tomato sauce that I used to make with her, my husband and I are growing a garden now for the first time, I will be able to have my own fresh tomatoes. And I am slowly training him on how to take a sauce from any place and make it into the sauce that I have been making (laughs) for over 45 years. And so, you know, this is another tradition that's getting carried forward. And so these are these are ways that we tie people into our our lifelines. Food is life, right? Oh yeah. So we tie them into our lifelines through the food and through those traditions that we carry forward. And then you can also do magic with it. Right. How so? So you take different elements of foods based on what it is that you're trying to create. And and you can look up what different foods mean online. It's, it's not that hard to find. And you put them together into a quote unquote, sort of like a spell, right? Yep. But it's a dish, right? Okay. And you create this dish 
And through the eating of the dish, through the taking in of the food, you are taking in that energy, that spell Mm -hmm. into your life. It is particularly powerful when it is something that you are trying to do within yourself. Okay. Trying to have impact over others in this way is, I mean, unless everybody's eating. If they're doing it on purpose, great. (laughs) (laughs) If you're doing it to them, that's black magic. Go back and read the white and black magic. That's not optimal. Don't do that. But the, uh, uh, not read, listen to (laughs) the, the white and black magic episode. But, you know, if you want to bring people together, let's let's say I wanted to bring together, you've got a new group of people that you're trying to integrate mm-hmm. together, you know, a, a, a new office team or, you know, you're getting married and you want your families to marry, you know, then I would make sort of a succotash where all the different elements are put together into the food because it represents the energy of what you're trying to do. Mm -hmm. And I would do that with the intent that each piece of food that goes into it, each type of food that goes into that succotash or that, that salad mix would represent a different group in the energies that you're trying to bring together, right? A different angle of that person. And then just infuse that with intention and say, as people eat this, they will feel like they are part of this community. Mm -hmm. And this is, is the way that they step into it. Now, obviously, if you don't want to leave anybody out, you got to make sure you're not putting in food that anybody's allergic to, because otherwise that's (laughs) going to be a way that somebody won't need it. And then Mm -hmm. they won't feel like they're a part of the, the group and that'll be weird. You know, that's one way you can do spell work with it. Do you have another example? I've got a bunch. You know, as as I was saying earlier, there's different types of diets that I'll recommend to clients and that I've used on myself for different types of magical work. So for protection, there's various foods you'd eat for protection diets. And a lot of those are the fiery foods, right? We think about the elementals. You can be very basic about it as well as as elaborate about it as you want. You know, for many years, I used to have a New Year's Day feast and had very specific foods that I made for it that were very precisely chosen because of their qualities, um, both energetically as well as through time, what they were related to. So a lot of people know about, you know, you eat greens, collards, generally for money is a money spell food. Why? Because in this culture in particular, green is a lot of as greenbacks, greenback dollars. And yet also we think about abundance and growth. And so the sympathetic magic piece is that greens tend to grow quickly and throughout they have a long growing season. Their individual plants may be short, but if you think about how long of a season is kale season, it's super long, Yeah. for example. So we look at that sort of thing and then you add things to it. So, you know, basically I'll give you my little recipe. So my recipe for, you know, money, my money greens recipe involves, you know, my green, your greens of choice, usually collards. And then caraway was traditionally used throughout ancient Egypt and other cultures because it's an abundant, tiny little seed and it's attributed to the air element. And so it's about how we're thinking it, bringing it, speaking it into being. And we add that, we add lime juice. There's like a whole bunch of things and they all have these different attributes and this becomes your money food. And then I would serve it with other things that are about abundance and growth and being connected to the earth. Brown rice is another one of these great foods, like grains that also sustain the body and therefore health. Sweet potatoes. This is all comes through traditions that were given to me through time and emotionally in my childhood. There's that emotional, as you were saying, correct? That emotional connection 
these sweet potatoes with cinnamon and maple syrup and like all these things are beautiful. And then I would make this absolutely wonderful. It got to the point where I was making two pots, one pot spicy to go to your initial remark about what people can eat and not eat and feel included. I made one big spicy pot of Hop and John, no pig, one big pot, no spice or my very, very mild. And then I would sometimes have meat on the side for those who want it because it was just too complicated. But yeah, you know, you bring all these things together and you're looking at traditions that go on through time and then people would add to them. So depending on who was involved, I would also open that up. So we have the idea of a potluck. The idea of a potluck is also kitchen magic on a really community basis kind of level where you're asking people to bring something. And it really got to the point where for many people, it's a place to show their skills. People come, I brought this beautiful thing, the pride of I made this wonderful, tasty thing that we're going to share. So food is love, food is community, food is connection. Food also, when we think of various other types of things that happen, you know, recently, sadly, I had to sit Shiva. Sitting Shiva, the tradition in the Jewish tradition of sitting Shiva, and there are many other traditions where we bring food as comfort to the families who are grieving, because for them, cooking right now is the last thing on their mind. Food is comfort. Food is caring. So there's there's all these other traditions that have come through time about kitchen witchery that we may not think of it as such. So especially when I'm cooking food for occasions like that, those are getting infused with so much compassion and care and support and cooking foods that really are also easy to digest. Let's think about how things work on the body. As someone who's also an aerobalist aromatherapist and has worked in nutrition for many years, I really look at that too. Certain things are hard to digest. That's not going to be the food you want, you know, for your night of sexy hangout time. <laughs> you want <laughs> easy foods, right? The same thing is true for people who are grieving or the various health issues. And so when I think about helping people looking at how they can improve their health and improve vitality, all of this comes into play. Yeah. I bet that the folks listening have, and may not even realize it, but have their own traditions or kitchen witchery stuff that's going on. This might be fun for people to share in the Facebook group some of the things that, that they have either in their family as traditions or some of the things that they're like, I didn't even realize I was doing kitchen witchery, but here's here's something that I'm doing. That might be fun. So go into Spirit Sherpa by Kelly Sparta. That's it, right? Yep. <laughs> and let us know what your kitchen witchery stuff might be that you didn't maybe you didn't realize it. Maybe you did. Maybe you were putting the caraway seeds in your collards and and you knew that all along be fun to hear what people have to say there. And there's a couple of really wonderful resources. As Kelly was saying, there's some things online and um, you can really, you can ask, I can think of it, ask Uncle Google, ask Uncle Google, <laughs> go ask. <laughs> but there's also a couple of classic books on this topic. One of my favorites forever and ever, Scott Cunningham, who's one of the greatest of all time and someone I had the good fortune of meeting and learning from for a period of time, wrote a book called Wicca in the Kitchen. And he gives the associations, elemental, planetary, zodiac connections for all kinds of food, plus some recipes. And oh, it's that's cool. a marvelous book. It's one of the best. And then my dear friend Rob was also writing a book on food magic. And so there's a whole, there's a couple of books that are really, really good that go very deep. So if you want a really super good deep dive, I really highly recommend Scott Cunningham's book. And there's a couple of others. Awesome. And he also goes into the real detail about a lot of what we're talking about regarding tradition, regarding charging the food, regarding how we think about the food, 
making a beautiful table. That's part of the act too, right? That's your altar. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's another way in which, how are we serving this food? This is the altar. How beautiful do we want to make it? What do we include in that altar? What does this meal represent? My, my mother-in-law was in town a couple of weeks ago and she had in her car a whole bunch of crackers. And I had just bought randomly a bunch of cheese and some some meats, charcuterie type meats. And uh, we were hungry one night and I was like, well, you know, we have all this great cheese. And she gifted us these jellies and jams that she had brought to gift us. And I was like, we have jelly, we have jam, we have cheese. We don't have any crackers. She's like, I have lots of crackers. And she brings them in and we're like, we have this feast of amazing charcuterie board sort of yumminess, right? And and it was just fantastic to have it be this surprise feast, mm. right? This surprise way in which we brought all of our individual pieces together to create something that was unique and, and filling and, and yummy and just a great way to, to connect for the evening. You know, you're all sharing off the same plate. And, you know, a, an event that, that Charlemagne and I have been to for years is um, called uh, Twilight Covening. And one of the things that they do as part of their ritual process is you bring, everybody brings something for the soup, Mm-hmm. And just before the major ritual, they make a soup out of whatever everybody brought. <laughs> and that's what it is. And it's always odd tasting because you never know what people are going to be bringing. But, <laughs> but it is the way that everybody comes together. And it is the only thing that you eat before that ritual. And so mm-hmm. there's no like formal meal. It's just this soup. And, you know, depending on the ritual, it could last, you know, a couple of hours. It's been known to last as long as like eight hours. Mm. So, mm-hmm. you know, the, the the soup is meant to sustain you. Well, I got to tell you, after this episode, I am hungry, but I'm also <laughs> nervous about preparing food without dancing and singing and avoiding certain conversations. It's it, I've, I've got a lot to think about here once I once I go and, and feed that hunger monster. Well, and I, I think um, Charlemagne and I have been talking because uh, she she runs the Moon Magic Circle, yep. right? And uh, one of the things we've been discussing is is she wants to put together some individual classes for different topics, right? Mm-hmm. So so um, you know, like a week, uh, like a month spent talking about this topic or the next topic. And having having touched on this, I'm thinking the kitchen witchery might be a really good topic for that that series that we're be. looking at. Yeah. So I'm wondering if you're building that into the moon magic circles, are you building in kitchen witchery at all? Actually, it's kind of funny that you mention it because this upcoming new moon is in Taurus and that's so much about the sensual and the body and the physical. And so, yes, there will be a, a yummy eating component in our new moon in Taurus for sure. And it will probably include sensual, sexy things like berries because they're starting to come, right? And chocolate because you know me and I can't not. So that'll be there. And uh Yes, there's definitely going to be built in and, you know, thinking very precisely about the things that I, you know, when I, we have the simple feast at the end of the circle, there's always a blessing of something within, you know, whether it's bread and other things or a basic simple feast of bread and water or wine or juice and really recognizing, you know, I offer my gratitude for the gifts of the grain, the growing grain that sustains us body and soul so people need to sign up yeah 
do it. It's going to be they fun. They need to sign up for the moon magic circle is what we're saying because it's it's yeah. going to be wonderful and sexy and yummy. I and mean, come yeah. on. These there are like go. my three of my favorite pastimes. All from the comfort of your own home, <laughs> right? right? Exactly. You can't, exactly. can't beat that. And certainly for the kitchen witchery, you know, I've, there's, I've, it's a thing I've taught before and it's a thing I love to teach. So, mm. you know, depending on how that goes, you know, there's a ways I do it d- depending on the season. You know, we eat for seasons, too. In the springtime, in the early summer, we're eating for lightening up because we're getting out of the, especially now with the, the year of pandemic, where we're really shaking off a lot of the stagnation in the body, mind, heart, spirit. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. in the autumn, where we're eating to build our immunity, we're building for strength. We're building for storage because we may not know how the winter's going to go. So there's a whole, there's an amazing range yeah, so if in ways. If you're not sure what this sort of ritual might feel like, we did do a podcast that was a ritual. It was a grail ritual, which yep. is its own version of kitchen witchery, mm-hmm. right? Um, mm-hmm. And the that was done last year, and it was a ritual for our initiation, I think was the yep. name of the podcast episode. So um, be prepared to you know listen to the podcast before it if you're going to do the ritual. Listen to the podcast before so you have the prep work and then do the ritual. Um, and that'll give you a sense of what doing a ritual is about, although I will say that Charlemagne's uh, rituals are far more complex and, and rich and, and you know, more in-depth than what I was delivering on the podcast there because she's doing two-hour windows or something like that. And, um, and uh, you know, I had 20 minutes to work with. So, And know. that was episode, if people are looking for it, that was episode 97. So go back and go. find episode 97 and you can, you can join in on the grail ritual. It was wonderful. Yeah. All right. We are at time here. So let's wrap up. Kelly, do you want to take us out with a Kellyism before we go? <sighs> eat to live and live to eat. Story of my life, baby. <laughs> all right. That is all that we have for this week. But be sure to join us next time as Kelly adds another chapter into your guide to energy, magic, and the spirit world. I am Joey C. here with Kelly Sparta and Charlemagne Tremont, and you have been listening to Spirit Sherpa. So long, everyone. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Each mile I travel over 13,000 now, so I leave behind a little Spirit Sherpa is the sole property of Kelly Sparta Enterprises and is distributed under Creative Commons BY-NC-ND 4.0 license. For more information about this licensing, please go to creativecommons.org. Any requests for deviations to this licensing should be sent to K-E-L-L-E at K-E-L-L-E-S-P-A-R-T-A dot com. That's Kelly at kellysparta.com. To sign up or to get more information on the programs, offerings, and services referenced in this episode, please go to kellysparta.com. This episode of Spirit Sherpa has been produced by Honu Voice Productions. Thank you.